NFL Week 12 line moves, and it's a tight turnaround this week with a Thanksgiving triple header on tap. So, Suma, let's jump right to it. First game on Thanksgiving, Buffalo at Detroit. We've seen some movement on both the side and the total in that one. Buffalo opened a nine-point favorite, and we saw a release this morning. Push them up a little bit. We saw as high as 10. It came back pretty quickly, settling out right now at 9.5. And And for Buffalo, this is their second game in Detroit in a five-day span yet they flew home in between games. And I know that you documented their trials and tribulations just making it to game day last Sunday on your recap this week over at thehammer.bet. Feels almost like a planes, trains, and automobiles situation for the Bills doing whatever it takes to get to game day. Kind of appropriate with some vibes from that movie as we think Thanksgiving football here in the U.S. Sumo, with Buffalo's decision to fly back home in between games, do you think that matters? And either way, do you think the market is pricing that in? I don't think that it really matters. It's it's not a long flight. Um, I mean, wherever they would have played, they would have gone back to Buffalo anyway. So I don't think that it matters um, in any way uh, when it comes to pricing. Um, yeah, the total, we are looking at 54 and a half right now. I think this might be the highest total in the NFL since Buffalo played Miami in week three, I guess. Uh, pretty interesting um, to see such a high total when the league uh, median is still uh, 43 on the season. But I think it's also warranted because the Bills' offense, I mean, there were some rumblings about Josh Allen not playing at his at his usual level or at his elite level. He had the, I think, three-interception game against the Vikings two weeks ago. But it also needs to be said that the Bills' defense, despite his UCL injury, um, despite all the chaos that went on last week with the snowstorm, they scored 30 points in back-to-back games. And there were still a few turnovers deep into Vikings territory the week before. So, so otherwise they could have scored 37 or something. So this is still a very, very good offense, um, despite all, all the stuff that went on. And the Lions, they found some new life. I mean, Amora St. Brown is back to his full strength. Jared Goff is playing better. Uh, DJ Shark is back. I don't think Jamison, I don't think we will see Jamison Williams this week, but the Bills defense, despite having all the talent, they are a little bit banked up. They still have some injuries um, on their secondary. I don't know whether they will get Trilderis White and Kyrie Alarm back. Um, they lost another pass rusher, AJ Epinesa, last week. Um, Tremaine Edwards was out last week. So this is a Lions offense that is a borderline top 10 offense over the past three weeks. They didn't play the greatest competition, but they were playing pretty well. They are now facing a Bills defense that is missing some key players. So I think it makes sense that we are looking at rather a high total than a lower total. And as we look ahead to a second helping on Thanksgiving, Giants at the Cowboys, we've also seen some movement in the total in this game. And the side has been a bit interesting because I feel like, Suma, there was a maybe a soft open or a brief window where the Cowboys were in the range of minus 7.5, and, and we've seen that get as high as 9.5. What do you make of that pretty big adjustment in favor of the Cowboys? Obviously, they look dominant on Sunday in Minnesota. 
Yeah, I think it's warranted because it seems like the Giants are, sorry, Jacob, but I think that the Giants are suddenly running out of gas. They have so many injuries. Their defense is very, very bad. And if they don't get all the crazy plays on third and fourth down, I mean, we talked about it, I think, last week. The, the Giants going to the Lions, uh, the, the Giants going to the Lions game were dead last EPA per play on early downs. They lost Adoree Jackson last week. Um, and their performance on, on late downs, on high leverage downs, what not, was not very sustainable. So we are looking at a bad offense in combination with an, uh, uh, sorry, bad defense in combination with a an offense that is without Wendell Robinson. Uh, their offensive line is still shaky. John Feliciano, their center might be out. Evan Neal might be back, but I don't think that you want a rookie right tackle coming off an injury playing against Mika Parsons potentially on Thursday. So it looks like a bad matchup for the Giants on both sides of the ball. The market uh, was responding accordingly and depending on how the injury report shakes out tomorrow, the final injury report, so to speak, I would not be surprised if this might even touch a little bit higher, maybe towards 10. I'm curious for your thoughts on the total in this one as well for a moment, Suma, because we saw an opener at 43 and a half, got as high as 45, and now back down to 44 and a half. Any thoughts on the two-way action in this total around that key number of 44? While we are recording, there was actually a flood of money on the over just now. We are looking at 45 and a half at Circa now, 45 at Chris. Circa Colorado shading towards 45 and a half as well. So there was some over money right uh, while we were recording. Um, I think if you bet the over there, it depends on your opinion on the Giants, I would say, because you need the Giants to put up some scores here. And depending on how betters view the game script, they might end up uh, with a simulation that gets us um, above 45. So personally, no strong opinion there, but it looks like some guys are starting to like the over. Sounds like it might be tough sledding for the Giants in terms of winning this one outright, but maybe Jacob can have a rooting interest in the over because that would mean his offense is holding up its end of the bargain as well. When we get to the nightcap on Thanksgiving, New England at Minnesota, this one's had a small movement, but a key half point off the three. Minnesota opened as a field goal favorite down to two and a half. Sumo, what do you make of that move? Yeah, I mean, betters are starting to catch up with the Vikings being just a mediocre team, I would say. Um, when, when you look at season-long efficiency metrics, it's probably hard to make a strong case for why the Vikings should lay more than a field goal, even at home with their home field advantage, um, because they have a below-average offense, below-average defense, and the only thing that is probably a strong case against the Patriots here is that they have a very, very bad offense. Um, over the past couple of weeks, um, Mac Jones is arguably the one of the three worst starting quarterbacks. Uh, their offense is not really looking great. They cannot get their run game going at times. I still think that Matt Patricia is very overwhelmed as a play caller. Um, it looked much better with Bailey Zeppi for whatever reason, but this offense with Mac Jones it just looks so hard. They have so many issues moving the ball. Everything feels hard with that offense. I think that's the biggest case against the Patriots now going on the road to face the Vikings. But overall, 
depending on how betters um, view the Patriots offense going forward. Um, this is a very interesting decision between two and a half and three, in my opinion. When you touch on the Vikings being a mediocre team, maybe I was wrong. So please push back on me if that's the case. Last week, I felt like it was finally the time to stop asking if the Vikings were good and acknowledge that while they were never as great as an eight and one record when it Kate, they were firmly in the category of being a good team. Obviously, that did not age well with their showing against the Cowboys. But did you ever think that they were good? Or at this stage, do you think maybe I was getting a little bit overzealous when it came to their one loss record and, and we need to just still keep them more in that average bucket at best? I had them in the above average uh, category um, because their offense still has some upside. I mean, their offensive line uh, was playing kind of decent with Christian Dorisor in the formation. It will be out this week. Um, and their passing attack has some ceiling when everything works well for Kirk Cousins. But, but that's also the issue. Like Kirk Cousins um, has never shown any consistency when um, the circumstances are not great. And yeah, overall, I mean, at whatever number you look, you will always arrive at the conclusion that the Vikings are currently an average team. And if you think their ceiling is high, you can make the case for them being a, a an above average team. But um, it's hard to make the case for anything um, other than that, in my opinion. Moving on to the Sunday slate, Washington at Atlanta. We've seen some interesting movement here. Washington opened an expensive minus three or a cheap minus three and a half on the road. And we've seen that surge upward. Now Washington, a four to four and a half point favorite. Suma, how much of this do you think has to do with some growing optimism across some of the betting market with regard to Taylor Heineke under center for the commanders? And how much of it could be related to the fact that the Falcons now going to be missing a key piece in their offense in Kyle Pitts? I think it's combination. Um, first of all, Cal Pitts matters for the passing attack. Even if he is not targeted uh, too often, he's still a guy that defenses account for heavily. Um, but I think that the market is cooling down on the Atlanta Falcons a little bit. When we look at their schedule over the past four weeks, they played the Panthers twice, the Chargers uh, with, a ton, with a ton of injuries, and the Bears. It was it was not a strong schedule by any stretch, and they barely went 2-2 with an overtime win against the Panthers, against P.J. Walker, and with a win against the Bears by three points where they needed a, I think, kickoff return touchdown by Cordero Patterson. So the Falcons have not been juggernauts by any stretch of the imagination now without, without Kyle Pitts. And I also think that Washington has a great uh, matchup in the trenches with their run defense against... Uh, what Arthur Smith wants to do, uh, which is a one-first approach. So I think that's what the early market was playing, um, bringing this number up to minus four. I don't think we will ever see anything close to a three here because I think that the um, matchup advantages uh, for the commanders are, in the eyes of the betting markets, market, uh, too strong to bring this back down to a field goal. Last couple of games we've touched on hovering around the three, and it'll be more of the same as we move on to Tampa Bay at Cleveland. The Bucks opened a three-point favorite, got knocked down to two and a half for a moment, but now it's surged back through the three to Tampa laying three and a half. Sumo, what do you make of the two-way movement on Bucks-Browns? Uh, yeah, so early on Monday, I think it was around 5 p.m. my time, so 11 um, a.m. Eastern Standard Time. There was an, an influx of Browns money across the board, like 
my whole Spankout screen was lighting up. I bring this down to a very, very soft plus uh, three uh, for the brownies. And then today we had the release of Adam Chernoff um, bringing this back towards almost a flat minus three and a half across the board for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now we are looking at a soft three and a half. Um, yeah, um, I think that the Browns have some issues on defense and the Bucks found some life against the Seahawks game. Uh, just subjectively, there might be a chance that Tom Brady and Bayern Leftwich have figured out some stuff over the bye week. Uh, we saw it in their uh, in Tom Brady's first season with the Bucks uh, when they came out of their bye week, and all of a sudden it was a completely different offense, more play action, more more Patriot style of plays. Maybe they maybe they figured out something this time. Um, the Browns cannot stop the run whatsoever, and the Bucks with their um, stop on us to rely to rely on the run game on early downs. Maybe with Rashad White as the starter this week might have a very good matchup against the Browns. So I, I get that move towards a three and a half. The Browns will also be missing their starting center, Ethan Pochic, who I think was a top five graded center by Pro Focus uh, this season. Tough matchup against Vita Bayer and Akeem Hicks in the trenches. So everything points towards a matchup advantage for the Buccaneers here. One thing to note, and we already saw the total dropping a little bit, uh, a little bit uh, we are looking at 42.5 at Circa. There is some wind in the forecast. Um, depending on which weather report you are looking at, you will see anything from 15 to 20 miles per hour. Uh, we will see how that might change throughout the week, but early indications are that there might be some bad weather in the forecast. Um, yeah, we gotta have to, uh, we gotta monitor this. I mean, the total even for a wind game is already pretty low, so I wonder what the floor might eventually be. Um, if 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 the wind doesn't get any more crazy, I don't think that we will touch uh, the uh, the forty one range. It's that time of year where some tough weather might be in the forecast, as you touched on for a lot of these games. And we might have some rough quarterbacking in the forecast when we look at Bears-Jets. The side in the total have started to reflect that notion. The Jets opening a five-point favorite got bumped up to minus six, but now that has gone back down to four and a half. From a total standpoint, we've seen an opener of 43 and a half take up to 44 before trickling back down to 42. Suma, with some two-way action on both the side and the total in this one, what do you think that says about the market stance on the projected quarterback situation for both of these teams? I think this is the most fascinating um, spread movement, also to be expected spread movement of the week, because we have uncertainty on both sides. Uh, Zach Wilson might not play. Then the question becomes uh, whether it's going to be Joe Flacco or Mike White. In my honest opinion, if the Jets really care about winning and making the playoffs th this season, it can only be Joe Flacco because it gives them the highest floor. Um, it could also be that uh, it was only, let's say, coaches speak from Robert Sala because he wanted to calm down the locker room a little bit, saying that he's at least considering a change. And um, then at the end, Zach Wilson will play. We don't know. Um, on the other side, Justin Fieldson had this probably an AC joint sprain or a shoulder separation. And according to all fantasy doctors, he's going to play. And he might not have um, any major uh, limitations. 
So it's going to be very interesting um, if Justin Fields gets ruled in and we see a quarterback change for the Jets. We might see this spread coming down a little bit. But also, I'm not really sure whether I would make any downgrade for Joe Flacco because Flacco, he was not great early in the season, but he still played better than what Zach Wilson um, showed over the past couple of weeks, even though we got to mention that he played against some really, really good passing defenses. And that takes us through the entire Thanksgiving triple header slate, as well as a trio of games on Sunday. Suma, beyond these six, any lines you're eyeing where we haven't seen movement yet, but you anticipate perhaps a movement between now and kickoff as we get into a lot of people's favorite segment of the show, Fabian's forecasts. It, uh, everything that we talk about on Tuesday has some conditions with it. Um, I'm looking at the Dolphins-Texans game, and there might be a quarterback change on the horizon for the Texans. So Lovie Smith didn't commit to Davis Mills on Monday. And he mentioned that there could be a switch to Kyle Allen. If Kyle Allen is going to play, I think this total, uh, this spread for the Dolphins might get towards minus 14. Because, I mean, Davis Mills was not great by any, was not great by any stretch. But I think that Kyle Allen is still worse than Davis Mills. So if the market uh, thinks um, the same that I do, I can see the spread for the Dolphins um, touching uh, minus 14 um, when we move towards the weekend. I feel like I heard something similar elsewhere a few hours ago. I don't recall who said this offhand or I would give proper attribution. But one thought I had is somebody thought, okay, this could move strongly in favor of Miami was also the notion that Next week, if I'm not mistaken, Miami takes on San Francisco, and that has got to be something that Mike McDaniel has circled on his calendar. That's a much more narrative type of angle than something we can really quantify. But Suma, how much weight do you put into a storyline like that and how much that might lead to the Dolphins scaling back this week or really if they have a comfortable lead in the second half, maybe not staying down on the pedal because they want to make sure it's full speed ahead to San Francisco after they presumably get this win in the books over the Texans. Yeah, I mean, that, that's always something that we have to think about. Um, but on the other side, I also think that the Texans, they are looking like a dead team right now. Their defense cannot stop anything. Um, realistically, the Dolphins should put up 30-plus uh, points here, and then you will need the Texans to score at least 17, I think, to cover this. And if it's Kyle Allen, I mean, the Texans want to run the ball, the Dolphins are pretty good at stopping the run. So Kyle Allen will be forced to air it out maybe all game long because the Dolphins offense can, can put scoring pressure on him. And then I don't think that it will bode well for the Texans. Might not bode well for the Texans this week. And Jacob, as we move on to the hops, unfortunately, it did not bode well for your Giants when you saw them in person for the first time. But I'm hoping you've got a good story or two from the hoppier side of life from your trip to the New York, New Jersey area as some sort of a silver lining for your travels. Yeah, the Giants game, unfortunately, the probably not probably definitely their worst performance of the season. Daniel Jones played his worst game. The defense already depleted with injury. Lost to Dory Jackson during the game because he's returning punts because Richie James fumbled a couple a few weeks ago. 
And it was funny. You heard people in the crowd as the punt was going up, kind of questioning why Adoree Jackson doesn't just call for a fair catch so he avoids injury, and then he gets injured. But anyways, uh, also very windy in that game. I'm still feeling the effects on my face of the windburn. On the good note, uh, I did take up your suggestion to go to the other half brewery uh, right near the, right in the Rockefeller Center and had some really good experiences there. Uh, got to sample quite a few good beers. Uh, some notable ones I wrote down. I was very surprised that my favorite beer that I tried there was the Bianca Cannibal Smoothie Sour. It was just kind of a weird one. It's kind of like a, a, a smoothie but a sour beer, I, I can't really explain how it all came together. I didn't think I would like it, but I ended up very much liking it. And I also tried their Forever Tropical Session IPA. This one's about 4%. Had some really, really good tropical citrus uh, hits, as you'd expect from the name. And that one was tasty. And another one I liked, their Double Dry Hopped Green City. That was another one. But the star of the show in the hops department did not come from other half as much as I enjoyed that. I was actually at a the American Dream Mall in Secaucus yesterday, and I was just watching the U.S.-Wales World Cup game, and I got my hands on a New Belgium Voodoo Ranger Juicy Haze IPA, and I have to say that is easily a 10 out of 10 beer. It oh. was exceptional taste with citrus the citrusy hops, super smooth, 7.5%. And right when I tasted the first time, I knew I had an absolute gem in my hand. So very good hops experience. Uh, not great football experience, though I did enjoy my time at MetLife Stadium for the first time. Nice. Interesting to hear you go the New Belgium route for the star of the show. I believe I have a bottle of Voodoo Ranger in my fridge right now. So maybe as part of the Thanksgiving festivities, I'll have to... <laughs> crack it open and and see just how much it lives up to what you had to say about it. I think I've had it before and I know it's good. New Belgium can do basically no wrong, but that's some high praise that I think warrants me revisiting that beer sooner rather than later. So I appreciate you mentioning that folds in nicely with my Thanksgiving plans. And another just classic brewery, New Belgium is one. I'll say Sierra Nevada is another. A lot of people's gateway into the craft beer scene in the U.S. or across much of North America. And when it comes to Sierra Nevada, I mentioned it on last Friday's show, Celebration Ale, a seasonal release that they do, Fresh Hop IPA. It was fantastic. As expected, I was able to enjoy it at Circa Las Vegas with my best friend. We had a room with a view of Stadium Swim when all hell was breaking loose in the late afternoon window in college football. Just from you know the setting, the view, the company, the beer itself, everything across the board knocked it out of the park. So Celebration Ale, an annual rite of passage, has certainly delivered thus far in 2022. Fabian, sounds like Jacob and I had some excellent beer experiences this past week. And I know that you're no stranger to some excellent options in your neck of the woods. Any standouts since we last recorded? Unfortunately, I didn't have any <laughs> new beer experiences. And every time you guys talk about all these great IPAs, um, I wonder what I'm doing wrong over here, to be honest. But, Matt, we want to know what is your go-to Thanksgiving slash beer uh, combo this week? That's a great question. I had it in the back of my mind to address this when we record the flagship show tomorrow with Hitman since we'll be one day closer to Thanksgiving, but I haven't fully thought out the answer yet. So you're getting me uh, thinking on my feet a bit here. <laughs> I typically, if I hadn't just talked about Celebration Ale so much, I would typically go right there because it's you know the time of year that it starts to become widely available. 
and it's an IPA, but it also has a malt backbone that gives it an amber appearance and maybe more versatility to pair with the wide variety of foods that will show up on so many people's Thanksgiving tables. But off the top of my head, I feel like my favorite route to go is usually my wife will often bake really good chocolate chip cookies, you know, simple but executed to perfection. Or sometimes my brother will pick up a squash pie, which is a lot like pumpkin pie, but a touch sweeter, um, pretty similar in texture. And if I get something like that for dessert, a really nice barrel aged stout can be perfect. And I'll often want okay. like a four or five ounce pour. These are often beers in the 13 to 15% ABV range. So tread cautiously. Um, but I've got one from Bottle Logic in my fridge. Bottle Logic is a powerhouse stout brewery in Anaheim, California. And it's called Mass Action. It is a bourbon barrel aged stout. And I think it also has banana and coconut mixed in. That could get really overpowering, but they, they balance the adjuncts so nicely. And I feel like all those flavors swirling around, a nice pairing with you know maybe some chocolate chip cookies, a piece of squash pie topped off with some ice cream. Definitely not going to be my healthiest day of the year, but it might be the day of the year where my taste buds are as happy as any time that they'll see. Nice. Yeah, I'll That's have good. to think this through a bit for tomorrow. Uh, do you guys have any beer and food pairings on deck? I know I'm the one in the U.S. here celebrating Thanksgiving, but uh, across the rest of the world with any major holidays, uh, any go-to food and beer pairings that you tend to make some annual staples out of? I will probably make some wings and um, grab a few uh, casual German pilsners. <laughs> Uh, I got a bit of a, a weird one for, I guess, not for Thanksgiving in Canada is in October. So I'm past that. I guess for the holiday season, this is a very, very strange one. But everybody who's ever tried it based on my recommendation has definitely enjoyed it. Uh, Smirnoff has their seasonal peppermint vodka, which outstandingly goes really well with chocolate milk and just tastes like peppermint, sort of like hot chocolate, even though it's cold. And that... you. Can't even you can't even taste the alcohol and it. it's a very good I guess sort of cocktail for holiday season I recommend anybody trying that one out for this time of year all right no shortage of fun options from the hoppier side of things to pair with some good food this holiday season no shortage of betting insight on this show as well courtesy of the one and only Fabian Summer if you're not doing so already highly encourage you to follow him on Twitter at Suma810 that's S-U-U-M-A-810 you can also find me there at mlandis18. A quick programming note as we wrap things up here. Jacob and I will be back tomorrow with Hitman for our Week 12 prop betting breakdown to get that in before Thanksgiving. So thank you, everybody, for tuning in today. And we'll see you again right back here in just about 24 hours. Props and-